gentlemen, I have a confession to make. Over the past 48 hours, I have listened to Carmela's theme music no fewer than probably 75 times. Can we get some karaoke? Can we, can we get some? Can, we get, can you, can you F-A-B-U-L-O-U-S, yes. And here's the second part of my confession. I know no lyrics to the song except for Fabulous. So when I sing the song in my head, it's F-A-B-U-L-O-U-S, yes. Because I'm fabulous. I know nothing else from the song, but I love that theme song right now. So I'm all over it. The part you're mumbling is Diamonds on My Neck, but I don't know anything else besides that. No, but I love that, yeah. though. Now that I know that, I feel yeah. like it's even better. Nick, what would happen if you walked down you know, A1A, Beach Shore Avenue, dressed like James Elthworth? What happens to you? Down by the beach? Um, I would probably not have the same success with women that I'm, that I'm accustomed to, so I would, I would not dress like our man James Ellsworth. But what it got me thinking as I'm listening to Carmela's theme at the gym, of course, while I'm hanging and banging, clanging and banging, what's your favorite theme song of all time? We have not talked about this beforehand. I'm putting both of you guys on the spot. Silver King, your greatest wrestling theme song ever. So the answer is Steve Austin because you get the bang, so you automatically know who it is, and you're juiced immediately. It's hard, metal, it's, it's rough, and you just know that crap's about to go down, that there's, someone's going to get beat up, and it's going to be at the hands of Stone Cold Steve Austin. I don't think there's any other answer. I mean, outside of Real American by Terry Bollea, you know, with Rick Derringer yeah. on guitar. You Th- know, that, I actually, I know every word to Real American. That I could sing right now the entire thing. I won't despair the audience, but I could sing that entire thing. But, but right. the real answer, what's the best theme song? Come on, it's B-Cam's theme song. Let's hit me with it. into In This Corner with Brian Campbell. This is the professional wrestling edition. I am handsome Nick Costos. Why do they call me that? Because I'm pretty good looking and I'm in pretty good shape and I need your validation to prove my existence on this planet is worth it. So follow me on Twitter at the Costos and on Instagram at the same name. Your likes provide me with the fuel that I need to get through the day because I am an insecure little man. And as always, I am joined by my tag team partners. First up, he is the hardest working man at CBS, and he just watched Omega Okada. We're going to get to that over the course of the program. He is the handsome. He is the dapper. He is the debonair. He is the silver king, Adam Silverstein. Hey, now. And as always, I am also joined by the man whose name is on the marquee. Come on. He's the icon. Let's go. He's the showstopper. Bring it. He's the main event. One time. He is the bod that runs the pod. My man. He is the mast that guides the cast. Stay hype. You know his name. He is the Brian Campbell. Oh, yeah. BC, tell the audience what's on the podcast. Handsome Nicholas, the audio invasion continues. Look, we don't just sing it on in this corner. As you know, we bring it, invading that inner core of your senses, deep down in that secret place with a smearing of that performance-enhancing audio. A smear. Hey, 
cream clear. You can have it your way. But look, folks, we're coming for your free time. So like handsome Nick Costos on a 2 a.m. on Saturday night, we are rapidly willing to hinder your Tinder and swipe right on your sensibilities. This right here is your new home for combat sports. So make yourself comfortable. Yes, no pants required. And get ready as we recap another Red Hot Raw. We take your questions in our DM segment. And we continue to fawn over the rise of that New Japan wrestling like Nick mentioned. Be sure to carve out some time for a bonus pod later this week as your main man, the Brian Campbell, sits down with the artist formerly known as Alex Riley. Yes, A-Ry, my man. Actor Kevin Kiley Jr. will join us for a revealing chat on the highs and lows he experienced inside the WWE, along with his new opportunities, including an acting role in the Netflix series Glow, Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling. Nick, I know you popped for Glow back in the day. Let's get to that in a second. A lot of inside baseball stuff to share in this pod, but without any further ado, let me toss it back to the Jim Cornette of this Midnight Express, the kimchi to my Kamala, mm. the passionate man in North America, the Greek Nick Costos. Nick, were you like me as a kid? Stacks of Glow magazines. I mean, it combined the two things we loved most about about being nine years old in the 80s, right? Women in pro wrestling. Well, what I, else? well I will say that you're significantly older than me, so I wasn't there. Like, significantly. Than us. Like, like, than, us. than us. That's true. Than us. You're what? Probably like 10, 15 years older than me, BC? <laughs> no, in all seriousness, maybe like it, three or four it, years, it, right? Uh, Easily, come on. Well, for me, it was always going. I used to go to Barnes, and quick aside before we get into it, I used to go to Barnes & Noble, and this was when the, the magazines were mostly in black and white and rip like the bikini pictures out when I was like 12 years old. So I would go home and spend some quality alone time with Terry Runnels or Tammy Linsich or Ray Namero, Sonny, Marlena, and of course, Sable, alone with the black and white. What was I doing? That remains a story for another time. But they shepherded me, BC, through some lonely nights in my teenage Teenage years. Oh, I know that feeling. But uh, before we creep anybody else out, let's, can we get to the main event already? You know what? No, because I want to say this. Those photo shoots in the WWE magazine were ridiculous. That's all I need to say. And they were awesome. And, of they course, when you're like 12 years old, it's the it was greatest thing of all time. But BC, a great intro by you, as always. The Victor Conti, the cousin Yuri, the King Balco, the first of this podcast, the Brian Campbell. As always, gentlemen, we begin with the main event, and goodness gracious, great balls of fire. The build to this pay-per-view, the name might suck. I'm actually coming around on it. I like it quite a bit now. The build has been awesome, and Brian Campbell, it needs to be said, at the forefront of the build, which has been tremendous, there are three central figures. Paul Heyman, Samoa Joe, and Brock Lesnar. You know, and this week was really like the 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 almost like the Super Bowl for them and showing you why you should be excited about this feud, why that these guys are just dominating Raw right now. Look, you need Brock in your life. You need Paul Heyman in your life for Raw to really be good. And when I sort of sat down after this episode, yes, it was as equally high as it was low, but overall... There was red-hot moments on this Raw, and I wouldn't have come out of this Raw so happy without the contributions of those three people. They are making this feud, guys, which we thought was a stay-busy, almost an afterthought. Like, yeah, we're excited about the physicality of Brock and Joe, no question. But it seemed like this is a, all right, let's get through this, then we'll see what they're doing at SummerSlam. As of right now, I don't care about SummerSlam, really. Like, honestly, because they're they're hire, they're firing up hashtag WWE balls so hot. Balls. I mean, it's just, it's incredible. And obviously this week with the choke, I mean, you, you bring in the MMA synergy of, of what we've seen Lesnar do in the past. The Coquina Clutch is continuing to get over on such a high level as this one dangerous weapon that can disarm the Hercules that is Brock. And the way Brock sold that with the purple face. Amazing. I mean... 
not, that alone would have had me fired up to tell you that officially, yes, this build, the Great Balls of Fire, might be the best build of the year, all things considered. I may be more excited now for this pay-per-view than I was for you know anything else non-mania. I mean, it's that good. But to come back with multiple, multiple Paul Heyman appearances on the microphone, including that sweaty angry rant he gave late in the late backstage to Charlie Caruso where there's just just energy dripping down his face and Nick you you appreciate this because of the ridiculousness of of the tagline goodness gracious great balls of fire of how painful it was to watch the undertaker work in the ultimate ult- thrill ride yeah just a few months ago to only only Paul Heyman could drop that song lyric with that much intensity and just, I, I was like, where was my, I'm like, where's my wallet? I just want to empty it and pour it all over the screen. I might be pouring other things all over the screen. It was that good. <laughs> that was, by the way, a great usage of the soundboard there. What did we call that? <laughs> mark milk? What was, what did you call that last week? Like, That's I think you just spilled some mark milk all over the place, BC, where you're at. So just to quickly set the stage for what we saw on Monday, we'll get the Silver King's reaction, my reaction, BC will we'll clean it up afterwards. But it starts off Heyman backstage with Charlie Caruso. And what happens? Samoa Joe sneaks up behind him, teases the coquina clutch, doesn't put him in it. Brock comes out, Samoa Joe attacks him from behind, puts him in the coquina clutch, Brock sells it, he's turning purple, they get pulled away, they do they do that whole deal, and then you have the Heyman promo by his lonesome that BC just referenced, which was absolutely unbelievable. So three separate awesome moments on Raw involving these three separate awesome individuals, Silver King, this was a home run for WWE. Yeah, two points to make. One I think I made last week, but... I really believe that Heyman is the one booking and writing this whole feud because it just feels like a Paul Heyman production. And Joe is really good on his own, and I'm sure he could do all this on his own. But it really feels to me like every single segment has Heyman in that writer's room kind of working them through it to make this feel major. And BC, to the point that you made, this feels like a major pay-per-view. When we heard Great Balls of Fire, we laughed, is this for real? We saw the logo, they had to make three different logos, they didn't have the rights to the theme song, then they got it. It was a joke. This pay-per-view, and we're going to talk about the rest of the card as it's building later in this show, but we have a massive uh, Universal Championship match. We obviously have Rain Strowman. We have a Sasha Banks-Alexa Bliss match that I thought they were going to save until SummerSlam, which maybe they will have the rematch there. And um, Again, like, like I said, we'll get to that. But it is headlined by a match that Brian... I want to see this go out over three or four months. Yes. And and we know, based on what you know, Dave Meltzer has reported with the Wrestler Observing, Wrestling Observer Newsletter, some other outlets, that they're either going to go with Lesnar-Stroman or Lesnar Reigns at SummerSlam, and then they're having one-off, one-month feuds with some of these other main eventers on the Raw roster. And I really don't like it because I want to see as much of Lesnar and Samoa Joe as I possibly can. Well, I think that though the one silver lining here, if that's what you're looking for, and I think a lot of us would like to see more of Joe and Lesnar because this has been really awesome, is that if this goes the way we think it's going to go at Great Balls of Fire, and the match is really good, and it draws a ton of heat. We're going to get this again at some point. It might not be three, four months, because they're planning for WrestleMania now, and, and the one-offs that you mentioned, Adam, whether it's going to be Finn Balor or Seth Rollins, those are going to be the sorts of feuds that we see Brock involved in. So he's going to go through everyone before he right. gets to Reigns, which we assume will be at WrestleMania, but really, who the hell knows? But I think that we will see Lesnar and Joe at some point again if this does go well, and the expectation is that it will go well. I think you give, guys, Brock Lesnar, 
a ton of credit for the way that he sold the Coquina Clutch because we normally, you never see Brock really sell like that, right? Because he's the beast, because he beats everybody up. But he sold the hell out of that. Like, he actually turned purple. Whether or not that's him holding his own breath or for who the hell cares, it doesn't matter. The bottom line is it looked great. And I have a very hot take, Bri. Are you ready for it? Heat it up, yeah. I want you to get the oven mitts out, buddy. Get the hazmat suit because this is nuclear-level hot take I'm about to give you. I thought the Heyman promo after the Joe Lesnar brouhaha might have been a top three Paul Heyman promo in his entire career. As as it was going on, I'm sitting there thinking, like, I, I talk for a living. I'm in awe of this guy. He's so unbelievable. He never stumbles. It builds to this unbelievable crescendo, and the way he delivers, goodness gracious, great balls of fire at the end. I mean, the man is a walking, living, breathing genius and monument monument to wrestling greatness. It, it was so, so, so good. Mark milk everywhere, empty out the wallet. Goodness gracious, I can't wait for great balls of fire. And one thing that, that they're continuing to accomplish here is, like, like, we knew Joe had the potential to be a main eventer, right? To actually wear a belt. But the fact that he came into that title opportunity as the least likely in that match to yeah. do it, and the fact that they hadn't been great lately sometimes taking the guys that you want to give them a push and fully doing it outside of just take, rolling out the balls for AJ, which is one of the strongest moves they did, of course, in 2016. They didn't have around. They made him a main event guy right away, made him into a star. But this is how you get a guy and solidify him. Now... If, if they swerve us and Joe ends up with the belt at, at Great Balls of Fire and heads into SummerSlam with it in any matchup, I would not even for a second be down. And, and that's a success, right? And I know some people could say, well, look, Joe's been on this level before. Well, he hasn't been on this level inside of WWE, yep. right? TNA, NXT are different ballparks, different size stadiums. This is a different deal. And they have successfully, with the help, of course, of Samoa Joe and the way he delivers dialogue and how real it is and with the help of Paul Heyman, have have found another success where they have built somebody up to this level. Joe feels like a superstar. And Adam, we put out those power rankings every couple of weeks with the top 10. It's hard not to get Joe, right? And then like number one, two, or three right now. I mean, it's incredible. Yeah, I think he was number three last week. And But this, what, this is what this goes to show. WWE does know how to build main eventers. And they did it with Joe. And they are, are allowing you to expect the unexpected on Raw now which was previously a SmackDown concept. Wait, wait, let me hit you with this real quick here. Sure. Because I think that you were right about something you said before. You said WWE is doing a good job with this. The fact that it's been so good actually leads me to believe that I think that you're right, that it has to be Heyman that's doing right. this. Well, he's booking it, but at least they, they put Joe in the position. Vince still decided who won that match, True. the number yeah. one contendership. But for me, it's this. I'm seeing how good of a job they're doing with Samoa Joe. And then I look at Jinder Mahal, and I say, why couldn't they rush that way too quick? They could have done something so similar with him. Give him that number one contendership. Maybe have him lose the match. Have him beat up Randy Orton. Sneak attacks. Do all these things. They could have done exactly what they're doing with Samoa Joe, with Jinder Mahal, and made him into a legitimate WWE champion. But you're just seeing the dichotomy of two guys and how WWE treats them. They rushed one. They're, they're slow building the other. And one works, and one still kind of doesn't. I want to, BC, if you have anything to add after I'm done on this, please do. But I think that's a little paralysis by analysis, because I think it's two entirely different things, right? Because Jinder Mahal is not Samoa Joe. Like, Jinder can't do what Samoa Joe can do, either on the microphone, in the ring, or in these segments that he's had with Brock Lesnar. And 
I'll say it, and look, and this is a subjective thing, and that's what makes pro wrestling so great. Everyone has opinions. So you like what you like. I actually kind of like what they've done with Jinder Mahal, and we'll get into Jinder, the Punjabi prison match coming up a little later here, so I don't think that's an apples-to-apples apples breakdown here, Samoa Joe it? versus Jinder. I'm with you on that. It's not. It's not a complete one. We'll get. We'll get more into gender. But thank you, WWE. Congratulations. When we, you know, we'll rip them, but we'll give them a success. Gold star on this one. And I don't know what you guys are going to say about this, so I can't wait to get into the second half of our three-part main event, which is Carmella emerging victorious on SmackDown Live. Brian Campbell, for the second time in two weeks, Carmella is Miss Money in the Bank. Was this worth the wait? Did you like how they executed this in the main event of SmackDown Live? I, I don't want to be like, like sound like an angry curmudgeon here, but do it. I, I didn't love it. I only liked it. And in the end, I think they exposed it for what we kind of hinted coming in. This was a ratings grab. It stretched it out. They played on a stipulate. They played on the, you know, the, the stipulation of Ellsworth having won the pulled the briefcase down and a women has, you know, all that stuff. You retooled it. They had an opportunity here by giving what essentially was a half hour to this match, giving it the time and attention it deserves, give, taking a week to build up an audience to get excited for it. It opened the door for a great match because like we talked about, if you do a great match to open the Money in the Bank card, in some ways you're robbing from the main event, which was the men's match. You could repeat the same spots and sort of just, it leads to customer fatigue. They had a chance here to put out a great match. They didn't put out a great match. They put out a fairly good match. Some good spots, some a little bit too comedically done. For my money, not as not as many physical spots. And in a ladder match like this, you need physical spots. And I'm not saying I need women to sabu into ladders and do these crazy things. I needed a little bit more. And then in the end, to go back to Carmella, who, look, if you're doing a one-off match, this is the right choice to put the, the case on for all the reasons we talk about, because she can be elevated by it. So, yeah, I'm happy that she still gets the push. But the fact that you went right back to her winning it in the same storyline with Ellsworth interfering again when he was banned from the building, it's once again like you got me. It was a ratings grab. You kind of sucked me in. I felt like the women on that roster could have put forth a better match than they showed. And maybe that's tiny nitpicking because it was a pretty good match. Some good spots. Heck, even Tamina channeled the late Jimmy Superfly Snooker with a really sloppy dive God, off the top Can rope. she stop doing the big splash or, like, lay out? Because she's either going to kill herself or somebody else doing it. By the way, she sold the impact of that splash for, like, five minutes when she was the one delivering the splash. I mean, because so she, she, she landed on the person's knees. Like, she doesn't hit it properly, so she probably knocked the air out of herself. I know, Nick, I know you have a full opinion on it. I just want to say one thing about Tamina Snuka. She took major spots in both ladder matches, and it, it's fine to crap on her because she's not very good, and she's probably the worst, worst woman on that roster, maybe including Lana in terms of I want to see them in the ring. But she took, in terms of the big spots that we want from these matches, Tamina Snuka took most of them, so credit to her for that. Uh, no doubt. She go. played the bull in this. But in the end, I just want to say sort of like, uh, yeah, it was okay. And I thought they had a chance for it to be great. So that's really my, my nitpicking there. I don't know how much better the match could have been. I legitimately, because I'm watching it, and my as I'm watching it, I'm thinking, and I'm watching it live just like you guys are, and I'm thinking... This is good, but it's not great. And I think the issue that I had in my head that I sort of resolved as I was watching it is, I don't think we can watch a woman's Money in the Bank ladder match and expect it to be the men's Money in the Bank ladder match. And that is no shade meant, but like the ladders aren't as big, right? Like it's just, it's just not the same sort of thing. So I think for a women's Money in the Bank ladder match, I thought it was very good. 
The crowd was certainly into it. You had a couple This Is Awesome chants, which I thought was pretty cool. And I actually like the booking decision to put it back on Carmella, to have her be Miss Money in the Bank, because she is going to draw unbelievable heat, and she's got Ellsworth beside her. Now, the one thing that I did not like was Ellsworth somehow finding his way back into the arena after he was thrown out. And the fact that he gets into the ring, and this is nitpicking, right? But this is like a little annoying. He's in the ring for like 30, 45 seconds. Like you think like Daniel Bryan went out of his way to eject him from the arena, send security out to get him out of the ring. Like it wasn't like he hopped in and it was a two second thing and he's back over the guardrail. He's running for the exit. He was in the ring for about, for about a minute before anything happened to him. So I thought that was a little weak in terms of the story, but I loved Ellsworth getting in Daniel Bryan's face at the beginning and saying, basically, like, you faked your injury because you're too much of a coward to be in the ring. That was pretty cool. So, uh, for me, I thought the entire thing was a win on the whole. I had no problem doing the match again. Liked it in the main event slot. Liked the decision to put Carmella over once again. So, a a win for me in the main event. So, the women's money in the bank, it was a failure by WWE. When you're talking about the entirety of booking the match, huge hype, and then everything else fell off from there. This match, at least the result, the way it played out with James Ellsworth, all that, this is what should have happened on the pay-per-view. So you have him interfere, but you don't have him grab the briefcase. You have Carmella win. She gets the heat. This is how it all should have played out. We said it last week. Brian, you said it today. It was a ratings grab. It was cool to see a pay-per-view match on free TV, but I want to tell you my biggest problem with it. SmackDown has this really cool feature now where they have picture-in-picture. You can watch the match as it's still going on while they run commercials. So what do they do? They use that feature during two crap matches earlier in the show. And we have a 30-minute women's ladder match. They go to two commercial breaks, and we miss five minutes at a time of action that we got deprived of because they decided to end the pay-per-view match early. As I said, ultimately the finish was as expected. In terms of match quality and in terms of the spots, I don't, like Nick said, I don't know how much better you're going to do with the women that were in that match. There's not an extreme woman on SmackDown. Lead is not there. She's retired. Nikki Cross is in NXT. Asuka's in NXT. The women that... Charlotte's the only one, I think, that that could do it. If if she has the right foil with her. I agree. And if you have the right women in this type of match, just like when you have the right men in the men's ladder match, when you have the Hardys or when you have... You know, guys that are willing to take these bumps, Sami Zayn off the top of the ladder. You have to have the willingness to take the, the spots and the bumps to sell the ladder match. And yeah. what WWE had in these women, again, not to their fault, really. They're the only ones on the roster. But they didn't have a strong enough group to make this match live up to its billing. I'm glad they did it. I was excited for it. I'm glad they did the women's Hell in a Cell, too. But if you're going to put these matches on, you got to make them special. Hell in a Cell was... These two ladder matches just were not for me. That's my reaction to that, because the, the final thing on that, Nick, to me, with everything he just said, is that you had a chance to tell a different story. They told the same story over again. So that's why I think it has to be a, a, a down, down thumb in the end. All right, let's move on to the final portion of our three-part main event, and that is hashtag booking the damn territory that is a brian campbellism he actually wrote that out on the physical rundown that i am currently holding in my hands hashtag booking the damn territory gentlemen on the fourth of july i'm gonna be really drunk i'm gonna be up in connecticut i'm not gonna be on the pod next week i'm gonna be partying with my college buddies and i will probably not be watching smackdown live at least not that night i'll watch it the next day but on that smackdown on the fourth of july john cena will return 
as a free agent. It'll be the first time that we see John Cena in a WWE ring since he proposed to Nikki Bella after they beat The Miz and Maurice at WrestleMania. So, SummerSlam on the horizon here at the end of August. Let's do a little booking the damn territory, Brian Campbell. How do you expect John Cena's path to SummerSlam to play out? So I got to give a shout out to one of our consistent listeners who, who slides into our DMs a lot at Nikki J G R F X. He presented this shout book, out. He presented this booking situation to me. I read it. I go, you know what? That's it. Like that's brilliant. That's the one. So Nikki, I will use my spotlight to shine it on you. Here's what he says. It may be obvious to you, but it's a really good idea. Cena comes back. Eventually, he's going to set up a feud with Jinder Mahal that's going to start after Battleground. They're going to go into the match together at SummerSlam. It's all for the USA to take down Mahal. And you have the potential of Cena winning that 17th title to break the record so they can tease that in the lead-in. And then you have Baron Corbin cashing in on that match to start the floodgates for a Cena-Corbin feud that not only can be really good, but it really may be the thing that elevates Corbin to the next level. So that's sort of a next month and a half what we do. But if you want to answer what do we do this week, what does he actually do, there's still that free agent thing, which I think is just a ratings play. I think it makes sense that he stays on SmackDown. I think Raw's got a lot of things going on, unless they're going to leave that free agent card open so that they're, so they, they can use him however they want. Whenever he goes away for two months and comes back from a TV project, they can float him around. That's fine. But how do you use him right away? Guys, we haven't heard the name Rusev in a very, oh, very long time. Took my notes. Well, you know, I, uh, I might be reading right off the Silver King's notes as I see him popping negatively <laughs> here. They had a great run in 2015. If you need a one-off three-week feud, and if you need it to happen, start on July 4th when no, Captain America— No, you can't do that. Back. No. No, because uh, Rusev's— Rusev. Rusev's been off TV for so long. Like, he's not going to come back and put Cena over. They need to put Rusev over someone the, first. The thing WWE does is they announce one person's return, and they return two. Right now, if you look through the roster, who is John Cena going to come back and immediately fight? And you go through both. Look at SmackDown and look at Raw. These guys are all matched up. These rosters, they're kind of deep, but outside of the low-level mid-card that don't really matter and, and aren't really doing anything, these guys are matched up for Battleground and for Great oh, Balls of oh, Fire. I got something for you that you guys have not thought the, of. Go the, on. the one guy who is not is Rusev. And WWE has shown with their willingness to rehash the entire Miz Ambrose feud that they're gonna, they're more than happy to go back and do it again. And I think Brian is 100% correct. He read off my notes. I, I'm sure of it. He has a spy camera in here somewhere I know. But I think John Cena returns. Rusev attacks him. It's the Rusev return. And WWE plays it up that way. I will say this. The reader who gave you that brilliant idea, it is brilliant. I think the gender Cena thing at SummerSlam is kind of assumed. Like, that's what I've always assumed. I think the Corbin Cashin is brilliant. And because it's brilliant is why it's not going to happen. Okay. Oh, oh. So we're going to do this a little later as Hero or Zero. So let's save our thoughts on the actual event itself until then. But next week on SmackDown Live, there's going to be a battle royal for Kevin Owens' U.S. title for a shot at that title coming up at Battleground. Mm. Now, we heard it teased on SmackDown Live that the open challenge for the U.S. title was instituted by John Cena. Kevin Owens is not American, but right now he is purporting himself as the new face of America. You want to talk about rehashing a feud? You know what was a better feud than John Cena and Rusev? John Cena and Kevin Owens. Give me Cena versus Owens at Battleground, 
Owens somehow retains in dastardly fashion and give me the rematch in Brooklyn, New York for the United States champion, Cena versus Owens. John Cena goes over for the United States Championship, and let's get Kevin Owens back in the main event picture for the WWE World Heavyweight Championship. How about that? You know, there might be some mix of these ideas here because I could also see Rusev returning in that battle royal too. Talk about someone who's said he needed to be guaranteed a title opportunity, and we haven't heard from him in six weeks. That's a title but opportunity. They ha- but they have to get the belt off Owens then because you can't do Rusev Owens. Well, he doesn't have to win the battle royal. He just has to be in it. I feel like if he's gonna be, he has to win if he's going to be in it. That's fair. Bry? Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting. It sounds a little too convenient to do that, but you make a great point. There's a reason why John Cena and Randy Orton have feuded about 17 convenient. times. Convenient. It's WWE. I mean, of course. <laughs> Go. That's it. Do you like that idea, my idea, Cena versus Owens? I don't because I think that AJ's got to be involved in something major, and we're going to have we're gonna have some time to sort of book SummerSlam and sort of put the people in the right spot. But you're leaving AJ out when, you, when you're doing that, and I think that AJ's a more important superstar right now than Kevin Owens. Or you're setting up a triple threat of epic proportions ah, between those three. Brilliant, brilliant Silver King. You're right, because what, what wow. is really seen as two you best matches? Mark Milk? <laughs> you want to talk about You want to talk about a match that would main event? Like, I would rather that main event SummerSlam than Lesnar Reigns. Like, if you put those three in a triple threat match for the U.S. title, holy cow. Mark Milk, BC, for that match for a triple threat, Cena versus AJ versus Owens? That was my insides coming out right there. Yeah, triple threat, I'm down. <laughs> down. That'd be a great match. And we'll be in, yeah, we'll be there in Brooklyn, right? Come on, this will be fantastic. We will absolutely be there in Brooklyn. Uh, not quite my hometown of Queens, New York, but close enough. Looking forward to that at the end of August. So, we have hit you in the main event with... Brock Lesnar and Samoa Joe and Paul Heyman. We went over Carmella, Miss Money in the Bank, and we just hit you with fantasy booking for John Cena. So the triple part main event is closed, which means it's now time for the second installment of the Best of Seven Hero or Zero competition. Please allow me to add that I won the inaugural edition last week, so I'm sure we'll have some 50-50 shady booking this (laughs) week from the Russian judge, the Silver King, who's going to put Brian Campbell over. So let's see how that happens, and I turn it over to his honorable Judge Silver King, what do we got up first? All right, guys, let's kick it off with the crossover moment of WWE this week when LaVar Ball, Lonzo Ball, and (laughs) LaMelo Ball all show up on WWE Raw to promote the Big Baller brand. I was excited about it it going in. I want to hear how you guys feel it came out in the end. Brian, on the entire segment and the ball appearance, hero or zero? All right, it's a hero for WWE because their only intention was to get crossover uh, noise out of this. And I think that it was a smart idea in the timing, right? The balls are hot right now. You're in the – wow, the balls are hot. Ha- hashtag WWE balls. The hashtag ball family balls. is hot right now. You know what I mean? I mean, well, the, the LeVar just got his son on the Lakers, essentially. You're in L.A. The synergy made sense even if it was awful. And, guys – It was awful. It's still a hero for WWE to a certain degree. But for me, Brian Campbell, is this a hero or zero? It's a massive zero. And the reason why it's a massive zero was because it was way more awful than I ever thought it could be. And I'm actually a guy who loves LeVar Ball. He's out of control. He's a natural heel. He's a pro wrestling performer in real life. I pop for those guys as shameless as they are because they are entertaining. He, I, I think he's a smart guy. I think he gets it. Yet this thing went off the rails so fast. I just guess I thought WWE was a little bit better than what we saw. I thought they were going to be more simple and more creative in ways to utilize, utilize LeVar's natural craziness and toughness. And instead, you got the Ball brothers who, I mean, come on, dude. You're coming out there in sweatpants with s- sandals, with socks. Like, 
You just fifty dollars sandals. Those sandals. those are not fifty dollars sandals. Those are like two hundred fifty dollars. Oh, those those are the big yo BC. Those are the big baller brand sliders that they sell for two hundred fifty bucks. I get the synergy. I get all that. But, bro, you're a big timer now. You're a big baller. You just got drafted by the Lakers second overall. Come out in a pinstripe suit, right? Like, go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Miz. All right, that's one side bit. Whatever. I just think, overall, it went off the rails so hardcore. It was a massive zero. And the only way it wasn't a hero from WWE's point is they pulled the plug quick on this because you heard LaMelo Ball drop the N-word twice. Yeah. And I think that's why that segment ended out of nowhere. WWE officially put out a statement to the LA Times the next day saying they they don't stand for that, et cetera, et cetera, like you can imagine. In the commercial break, which we didn't see, Dean Ambrose came in there and beat down those mannequins and clean house. In the end, guys, for me, massive zero. And it's not because, man, I hate LeVar Ball. It's because LeVar Ball, I thought you were going to be more entertaining than this, a little bit better than this. It was a massive zero. Uh, I'm going to say go the other way. I actually enjoyed the segment. I didn't think it was groundbreaking. I didn't think it was the greatest thing I've ever seen. But I thought that it was good enough. And just real quick on the Lonzo thing, like, that's their gimmick. Like, he's not going to come out in a suit. Like, they're trying to move merchandise, Bri. Like, he's wearing the merch that they're trying to sell. Those sandals that you mentioned, they're selling for $250 a pop, the big baller brand. I'm, I'm kind of obsessed with it. Wait, I wear that in the morning when I take out the trash, and my wife yells at me every single time. This guy wore that on Raw, all right? <laughs> no, I see. No, but that that I actually liked because they're living the gimmick. They're living the, the big baller brand gimmick. I'm not going to add any more analysis to it because it was kind of a train wreck. I liked it personally because I like LeVar Ball and I think that he's very funny. Wrestling often, not often, all the time, and I say this to people all the time, it's an allegory for everything that happens in life. Like, it's basically professional wrestling is trying to elicit a certain type of reaction from people, right? So it's a social experiment, basically. Like, how can we get people to cheer? How can we get them to boo? And that's what I think is at the crux of professional wrestling. So what I found fascinating was the crowds in L.A., so you've got Lonzo Ball, right? And Lonzo was just drafted, for people that don't know, second overall pick in the NBA draft last week by the Lakers. Magic Johnson comes out and says he's the new face of the Lakers, right? So Lonzo is really over in L.A. And then you've got LeVar Ball, who despite the fact that he's Lonzo's dad, is a major, major heel. So you had this interesting dichotomy with the crowd where you could tell that they hated LeVar Ball, so they, but, but they love Lonzo. So Lonzo wasn't quite getting the cheers that he would normally get. LeVar wasn't quite getting the boos that he would normally get. I just found that to be very interesting because it was very clear to me that the crowd was conflicted on what to do because they love Lonzo and hate LeVar. For me, a slight hero because I found the entire thing to be an entertaining train wreck. Guys, the only thing that didn't make that the worst segment in Raw history was the fact that we had Bailey. This is your life two weeks ago. Moving on here, the other big oh, that was this was Rock Foley. This is your life compared to the Alexa Bliss uh, Bailey thing. I'm saying that, that's, the, that's the only reason it wasn't the worst thing of all time. Guys, Braun Strowman back again on Raw, back in an ambulance again on Raw. Takes Roman Reigns, kind of tricks him a little bit, thinking he's going to come out of the back. Instead, where is he? Coming around the side. Throws Roman onto the stage, then tosses him off the stage directly into the side of the ambulance. A massive, massive spot, continuing a massive feud. Nick, hero or zero for what you saw this week from Strowman Reigns? I often complain about the way WWE chooses to start every single edition, it seems, of Monday Night Raw, which is the 15 to 20 minute promo to set something up. This was about an 11 minute segment, which featured... A Reigns promo to start, which was short and effective, followed by a white-hot Braun Strowman beatdown of Roman Reigns. 
which was punctuated, of course, by the moment, the spot that you referenced, the awesome throw off the stage into the ambulance, Reigns bouncing off the guardrail as he comes down. I popped sitting on my couch. I thought it was awesome. I don't think you can give this a zero because it was amazing. It was awesome. It's a huge hero from yours truly. Yeah, it's a massive hero. Guys, like... I am so fired up for hashtag WWE balls. This is the the one B reason why I am. Yes. This brought back a feeling of the 90s. And not just because I was one like everybody else who went to Twitter and was like, oh, my God, Braun just threw Roman into the side of that ambulance like he was prime Kevin Nash throwing Rey Mysterio into the <laughs> – What a great <laughs> reference. Yeah. And you, for PC, you tweeted that, by the way. That is was such a good call by you. And if you're a younger viewer and don't remember this from Nitro in around 1996 – Find Kevin Nash throwing Rey Mysterio into a trailer because at that at that time when it happened, it was one of the more violent things that we've ever seen on wrestling on television. I'm sorry, Bry, go ahead. It was so damn physical, and to see a time a prime top end star like Ro- Roman being willing to sell something that physical. I mean, guys, he was manhandled and thrown into the side of an ambulance from four feet up and slid down the side. I mean, that was a big time spot. He was also ragdolled on the stage earlier. This is great because there's very little talking, like you mentioned, Nick. They are getting over this intense with just action. And this is a different kind of feud. This ambulance match has a different kind of potential than sort of these, you know, Cena versus uh, versus AJ type matches. It's a different animal, and they're playing to the strengths of this animal, and Roman's acting like a heel, and Strowman is over on a babyface level out of this world with the crowd. Monster hero for the monster that is. Braun Strowman. And just, yes, go ahead. And you know what that music means? It means, I'm not finished with you yet. But we are finished with this topic. On to number three, Adam. So we have Orton Mahal official, number three, uh, for Battleground pay-per-view on July 23rd. Randy Orton put the challenge out. Uh, they ex- uh, What's his name? Jinder Mahal, obviously, the WWE champion, accepted and got to choose the stipulation for the match. And what did he choose, guys? A Punjabi prison match we have not seen one since the great Kali was in WWE and because of that I'm going to break down what this match actually is before we go to your hero or zero answers this is what we have guys we have two steel enforced bamboo cages the interior cage has four walls and four doors at any time the wrestler can ask for one of those doors to be open it is open for 60 seconds and they have a chance to escape that door if they don't it's locked Once all four doors are locked, you have to climb over the top, which is bamboo spikes, and then you go into the second cage, which is an eight-sided, again, steel-enforced bamboo cage. In between those two cages, we're talking tables, chairs, straps that are strapped up to the cage where you can choke and beat an opponent. The winner is the first who escapes both structures. This match, you would think, is built for Jinder Mahal, but we don't know exactly what's going to happen. B.C., Hero Zero for the match and for what you think is going to happen at the end. Oh, come on. I had to to pop for that Punjabi beat. Look, it's a hero, but it's a hero with an asterisk. It's a hero because it's going to be a train wreck. And I love nostalgia. (laughs) I love the fact that I just recently, about two months ago, went back and watched both Punjabi Pridgen matches. Why would you do that to yourself? I just, it's one of the more ridiculous looking structures, the one of the more unique ideas. It didn't work as a match, right? Like some good moments, but it's a train wreck match, especially having somebody seven foot 13 like Kali trying to climb, you know, Pujabi walls like that. But it's rare that you get 
an Indian champion, right? It's rare that you get somebody where this makes sense. The Punjabi prince, the Maharaja, whatever you want to call him, Jinder Mahal. The synergy is perfect. It'll be a spectacle. Will the match be good? No. No. Two guys have certainly have a ceiling in a traditional match of what they can do to make us pop. But I say hero because I think you kind of have to add this kind of over-the-top craziness to make people actually want to see this match for the third time. As good as they've done with Mahal, and we've talked about that, I'm done with Randy in the spot. I thought he was bad this week again in sort of getting you hyped up that he's crazy and he's angry. I want this feud to end. You have to end it in something as ridiculous as a Punjabi prison. Sign me up, dude. Yeah, I I think that you nailed it. Um, The match is going to suck. Like, it's going to be bad. So what do they have to do to try and salvage it? overbook the hell out of it. And you do that with a ridiculous gimmick like the Punjabi prison match. No one should go into this match expecting to see Flair Steamboat. Like, the match is not going to be good, so overbook it. At least make it fun. Now, I do like the violent element of it because the way that Orton's character is trending now with the familial disrespect here, I think it's trending in the right direction. They're going to have to book it well in order for the match to go over well because these two guys in a match like this, like I said, it's not going to be pretty. So let's make it violent. Let's get some interference. I don't know how they're going to work it out. The Singh brothers are going to have to interfere somehow, get their asses kicked by Randy Orton. Something's going to have to happen to salvage this match. So I'm going to give it a hero, but an apprehensive hero. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and assume that it's going to be an overbooked mess in a decent way. But I do acknowledge the absolute train wreck potential and train wreck not in a good way, but in a bad way. I got to tell you guys, Nick just and I'm not going to tell you who won each one as we go. But Nick just barely won that because you're both because you're both wrong. This match is going to be great. And here's why. Jinder Mahal is not a good wrestler. So when you put him in a match like this, you have an opportunity to put legitimate massive heat on him as a performer, as someone who can legitimately win a match against Randy Orton without the the Singh brothers. And if he comes out of this match as champion and bloodies Orton, beats him down, something like that happens, you have WWE actually making something with Jinder. Other than that, if this was just a normal match, it would have been crap because we've already seen it twice. So that's why it's a massive hero, and that's why I think it's going to work. Moving on to number four here, guys. Nick mentioned it earlier. On SmackDown next Tuesday, we have a battle royal for a number one contendership for Kevin Owens' U.S. title. The match will be at Battleground. Hero or zero for this type of match determining the number one contendership when we have AJ Styles, who we would think would already earn, uh, already deserve it. Nick, hero or zero? Um, it's a hero because we all had different theories as to how it's going to go down, and I think that means we're all excited to see how it's going to happen. And when we're excited in advance, for me, that is a win. Hero for me coming up on the Battle Royal next week. Uh, guys, massive zero. And it's a massive zero. zero because, you know, Silver King just sort of identified it. You have Owens in in AJ, the two best and biggest brands on your SmackDown. They do incredible together. Their match, let's remember at Backlash, had the potential to be a five-star match, but they sort of smartly ended it a bit early and abruptly when AJ got his leg caught in the table. What have we done since then? Let's be really honest. Nothing. We've done nothing. Kevin Owens has jobbed twice to Shinsuke Nakamura. There's been multiple six-man tag matches. They're not even really doing much facing off and trash talking outside of tiny backstage bits. Guys, we had to be okay with the idea of dumbing down the WWE championship to allow ourselves to accept the idea that gender could win it right now. But sort of the consolation prize as viewers was, Hey, don't worry. We're going to make the U S title really important. And we're going to give you a KO and AJ to feud for it. But you know what else was in that disclaimer and tiny print that we didn't realize we're not going to book this 
at all in when any way you're going to care. In fact, AJ and KO will barely ever be on the same screen together. There's a way to do this, and it was last December, the build ahead of AJ versus Dean Ambrose, and I believe TLC in December. They had that incredible match in the year. But that build involved James Ellsworth more than it involved AJ and Ambrose, and it worked because there was attention to detail. There was creativity. This build has barely involved AJ and KO. It hasn't worked, and now you're going to have a battle royal, and of course AJ's going to win. No, Rusev is not going to run in and win. Cena's not going to win, run in and win. You already set the stage for greatness for these two with the match at Backlash. Now you're just doing smoke and mirrors to get us care about some battle royal that AJ is going to win. Just let these two have a real program with a real storyline. It's a zero, all right? That, I gotta be, I got to be real, okay? So on Raw Monday, WWE decided to determine the number one contendership for the women's title with a gauntlet match. Nia Jax absolutely dominated until the final match when Sasha Banks got over on her, and she will face Alexa Bliss at Great Balls of Fire in a third major match for this pay-per-view. BC, hero or zero for the gauntlet match on Raw and the result and what it means for Great Balls? This isn't just a hero. This is just a hero in capital letters. This is a hero in tiny light bulbs, like in a, in a sign on a wall in a bar window. On Chris That's, Jericho's like jacket. Yeah, exactly. Chris Jericho's jacket, a, a Miller light sign in some random bar in the middle of suburban Indiana. This is really, sorry, rural Indiana. This is that times 100 because what did I do the last two weeks on this podcast? Rip the lack of attention to detail to the women's division on Raw and how you're basically doing the welcoming committee gimmick all over again. What did they do this week? They created a main event storyline that grabbed our attention, at least grabbed my attention. And I think they not only rebuilt Sasha Banks's brand completely, they completely got Nia Jax over once again as the destroyer, and they sort of did well on the entire division, laid out the hierarchy. Everyone played their role. I think they may have repaired the women's division in one week. And now if we head into not only great ball, hashtag WWE balls, but SummerSlam <laughs> with the most marketable feud you could make on the Raw women's side, which is Alexa Bliss against Sasha Banks. Big time winner. I don't know how you did it, WWE, but you're back, baby. I'm back. I'm dialed in. Big time hero. Yeah, I'm in on this as well. Um, I really liked the match, and I liked the booking of the match. And what it reminded me of is when you get like a giant in the Royal Rumble, whether it, it's been Kane in the past, it's been Big Show, we saw Roman Reigns do it once, where you get that big guy in the ring and people keep coming in and the big guy keeps eliminating. It's usually a heel, and the big guy keeps eliminating the smaller guys and eventually he gets massively over as a result. Nia Jax is a heel. Nia Jax was getting face heat by the time this was over, by the time she eliminated Mickey James and Dana Brooke, disposing of them in, in record times here. So I thought it was laid out very well. And I thought the final match was pretty damn good. Sasha Banks against Nia Jax. I liked the way Sasha Banks had to apply the bank statement on her back, right? She couldn't actually get Nia Jax down. So they gave you that aura of believability and invincibility with Nia Jax that Sasha Banks had to go a different route to try and beat her. I didn't like the way that they continued to bury Bailey, only because I think like you want to see something different with Bailey, and they tease that she might have a long run in this match. I don't know what the plans are going to be for her, but her, she's obviously in a lot of trouble right now. I think Sasha Banks was the right choice, and I think these two will put on a pretty good match at Great Balls of Fire. And also worth noting, this has to be the first time in WWE history that we have had the women main events, both Raw and SmackDown, and it's not even something you bat an eyelash over anymore. And both matches were entertaining. So I give it a hero, a total hero here for both the match 
and the, the women in general for WWE this week. To Nick's point, we taped this on Wednesdays. The women are also main eventing NXT tonight with Asuka in the main event. Moving on, guys. Cass made his second heel turn on Enzo Amore, played it up like they were going to get back together. Everything was all chummy-chummy. Then they go on to the ramp, and what does he do? Pulls a Tommaso Ciampa, clotheslines Enzo down, stands on top like the heel he should be. Nick, hero or zero on not just the second heel turn, because we already knew he was heel, but how they played it out on Monday Night Raw. Here's why it's a hero. Because you saw it coming, and it didn't ruin it, right? Because you're a jaded wrestling fan. Like, if you're listening to this podcast, chances are you are a big wrestling fan, right? So when you were watching this go down, you assumed at some point Cass was going to turn on Enzo again. And I knew that was going to happen. You probably knew it was going to happen. And for me, it didn't ruin it at all. Because I thought that they both did a very good job setting it up. That was the promo of Enzo's life. And I think it showed you, and I had many doubts about Enzo Amore, his ability to get over as a single star. He was getting a tremendous, tremendous amount of heat from that crowd. And I thought that he was great. I thought that Cass was great afterwards on the mic. And I thought the way that they handled going up the ramp and Cass going, you want Enzo, here's Enzo. And he tosses him down the ramp in stiff fashion. I thought it was very well executed. Predictable, yes, but it was still good, and that can only make it a hero. I give it a hero because they fooled me, because I was actually getting to the point of getting angry where I was like, wow, this is so lame. Like, Cass is really not going to strike him. Like, Cass really – so the, I, got, I got caught in the mark zone, wow. right? Like, they poured the milk up. over me. I was literally like, wow, how lame are you, WWE? Cass is really just going to apologize. Like, he's out in the black shirt with no logo on it. He's now a heel, we're supposed to believe, and now he's giving in. Like, how lame. And, of course, the last minute come through, you know, I I popped for it because, like I said, I got fooled. I was ready to write the negative review. And then the press slam on the ramp was stiff. So execution, great. I do have a little bit of concern, though, because – I don't know if Cass can pull off being a real heel for a long time and being believable because even though he's seven feet tall and you can't teach that, he's not a scary goon. He's not a scary villain in my eyes, at least. And I just think that there, he is a natural disposition to sort of be endearing, to be an old school baby face, you know, Hulk Hogan S type of dude. I think that's his long run is how he's going to be his best, where I think Enzo has incredible long term heel potential. And even though he did well on the microphone building sympathy like you mentioned Nick Enzo's the guy that's just in the long run when you're so tired of his act he's just going to annoy you he's going to be the heel long term let's not forget he was the one who got in the middle of Rusev and Lana's marriage under storyline and went into her hotel room and was ready to do business a different kind of business you know what business I'm talking about give me the green light (laughs) was ready to go that's a heel move so maybe if I rebook it, I mean, I get why you booked it this way, because you want to see the seven-foot guy drop the big boot on him. But I just have a little bit issue with the role breakdown right now, but I'll give it a hero overall. All right, guys, finishing up this week, we had some news. Actually happened about a week ago. The voice of Showtime Boxing, Cheap Plug, who will be calling the Mayweather-McGregor Super Fight, Cheap Plug, Mauro Ronaldo. he's not gone from WWE. He's staying, and he is the new lead voice of NXT. Guys, breaking down the story just really quick. Ronaldo missed WrestleMania, missed a bunch of shows. We reported here at CBS Sports that he was done with WWE. They had come to a mutual understanding that he was going to play out his contract from home. Instead, Triple H, it seems like, re-signed him and now has him as the lead voice of NXT, which is incredible to me. BC, hero or zero at Mauro Ronaldo's new gig. 
Well, it's not just a hero. It's a hero for like 17 reasons. But you mentioned the key name there, Triple H. It says Triple H's hands written all over it. Triple H is the guy, you know, the the in-law who moved into that McMahon family whose sort of sole mission, it seems, is to repair the bad relationships of the past that have only really left the fans to be the ones who suffer from it. He's the guy that got the ultimate warrior back. He's the guy that got Bruno San Martino back in the family and convinced him to want to enter the hall of fame. He's repaired a lot of these relationships. Heck, I'd like to see, you know, Paul Levesque be sent over to Chicago to maybe work on a a guy named Phil Brooks, CM Punk, and maybe work on that as well. This was so smart from a PR sense because we, again, still don't know what happened in the JBL situation. If you read Morrow's quotes after this news last week, it's still gray. You know, you still get the feeling he says it didn't happen the way people say, but obviously something happened for him to leave. Great PR move to find a role where he still can add, where it's not as much travel because he also just signed to be the voice of Bellator MMA and they're making moves as a rival of the UFC. You give him a limited window where he has to work. But the bottom line is he's probably your best announcer in the entire company, even in this recurring nostalgic Jim Ross role. I think Morrow is your best big fight announcer right now. So at least to not only upgrade NXT, but have him on hand if you ever want to do more with him. So smart across the board and to just repair that PR situation. Double as smart. Triple H, you're a genius. Thank you for bringing back Mo Ronaldo. Indeed. Uh it can only be a hero because Moro is awesome. Having him as part of the company is always a positive. Love having him call matches. I just wish he were still calling on SmackDown. Not shade at Tom Phillips. He's not the announcer right now. He doesn't have the experience that Moro does, so I'm not. it's not an indictment on the guy's career path or where he's going to go. Moro would be the better choice to announce SmackDown right now. Obviously, that's not going to happen. So as a consolation prize, if we get him on NXT... This can only be viewed as a positive thing. The one thing I, I want to say about this before I go into the grades here and, and determine a winner, you know, I think that WWE and Triple H might kind of be using this as a testing ground for Morrow to say, hey, you know, if he does this really well for eight months, 12 months, and it's all working, Michael Cole wants to get out of that main seat on Raw. He's tired. He doesn't want to be doing it anymore. He wants to be backstage. That could be the path for Morrow where they say, okay, man, we want to make sure everything's good with you. And if this all works out, we're going to give you back that main spot on Raw. So that's just me speculating, but I really think that that's a possibility. Anyway, going back to the grades here, this was close. This, here we go. Let's, this uh, might let's have hear been, it. This might have been our closest one. What I will well, say. Well, we've only had two, so it was closer no, than last well, week. No, well, we've been doing it in Game of Five, too, for, for a long time. But it, the score is 4-3. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it goes to handsome Brian Campbell. Oh, what a swerve. What a heel call right there from the <laughs> silk. You got to love that. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. That, I, I deserve it. I'll, I'll accept it. Thank you very much. All right. Um, I will not accept it. You did not deserve <laughs> it. I deserve to win. And I am. It's my gimmick's handsome. I'm a handsome Nick Costas. You guys can't be this is gimmick infringement here. Yeah, apparently, I'm old Brian. apparently that's where we're going. Yeah. Brian, it's time to slide into DMs before we get the listener DMs from this week. Tell them how they can get involved. Hit me up at B Campbell CBS. Hit up my co-host at the Costos at Silverstein Adam. DM season is open, guys. It's time to swan dive right in there. Hit us with your questions. We want you to be a part of the show for the people, by the people. Let's do it. And if you're feeling squeamish, by the way, about sliding into our DMs, you can also tweet using hashtag in this corner. We will get to them and we will answer your questions. All right, Dusty Allen. He's first at it's Dusty Allen. He wants to know, Daniel Bryan sent a tweet this week, and he wants to know if DB was calling his shot and basically telling WWE that he is gone next year and heading to the independents. Here's the tweet. Side note, if Cody holds the Ring of Honor title 462 days, I may have to come after you. 
which would be September 28th, 2018. Be forewarned. Hashtag final countdown. What do you think, BC? Something's happening here. And, and Daniel Bryan has given a few over the last nine months interviews to outlets separate from WWE where he's talked about maybe really coming back, that he feels like he has other tests that he's done with doctors that sort of maybe suggest that he isn't as 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 horribly well off in, in the brain scan department from all the bumps he's taken as originally thought, which called for him to retire. But my main asterisk on this is this. WWE's sort of been along for the ride in the storyline of this, though. And even this week, having James Ellsworth get in Dan O'Brien's face and sort of calling him out for not having the grapefruits, end quote, to get back in the ring, it obviously sounds a lot like that great heated stuff The Miz did at the end of 2016 for about three months where you thought maybe they were building a Miz-Daniel Bryan WrestleMania feud of some kind, whether it was Daniel Bryan actually wrestling or not. So I wonder if this is WWE saying... Daniel might just do this anyway when his contract is up. He's that determined. He loves wrestling so much. So if he's going to do it, and if we can find some loophole in the in the doctor's test or something to get out of this, we might as well get on board so he does it in WWE and doesn't do it in New Japan, doesn't do it in Ring of Honor, doesn't do it on Impact Wrestling or what have you. I feel like we will see Daniel Bryan again someday. I feel like he's going out of his way to push the narrative, and that is making WWE respond on their own way to sort of make sure they're on board with him. I just hope that that he's all right, and that if he does come back, and if X-Doctor clears him and Y doesn't, and he wants to go with X-Doctor as opposed to Y, then, I mean, God bless the guy, right? Because it's his life, and he can make the decisions he wants to make. But, I mean... Long-term health is not something to screw with. And I think that clearly, regardless of what this doctor or that doctor says, there's something up there with Daniel Bryan. Now, I would never tell a guy what to do because it's not my life, it's his life. But long-term health, just had a baby girl with Brie Bella. Like, this guy has got a a long life, God willing, to look forward to. I got to be honest, I kind of don't want to see him back in the ring. And it's not because I don't think he's a tremendous performer. He obviously is. And whether it's with New Japan or Ring of Honor or WWE, the guy's outstanding but I don't want him to come back at the risk of his long-term health. And I mean that sincerely and seriously. So I hope that he stays in the role that he's in right now. I hope that we don't see him back in the ring because I don't want him to risk his health just to come back and wrestle again. I agree with what Nick said. Uh, For me, it's this. If he really feels like he's missing something in terms of he didn't get the retirement match, he didn't get that that one final shot to fight AJ Styles, if there's a one-off, and like you said, Nick, if they can figure out a way to get it cleared and he's willing to take that risk... Maybe that's the move to make. But to go back to a semi-full schedule, considering we're talking about the guy's brain, that's where things really get scary. Guys, up next, Mitty Brand at dmitty 78 Welcome back, Mitty. He's back, back unfortunately. He, he's curious, though. He wants to know, did I go from the main event to not on the card in one week? Yeah, buddy. That's exactly what happened. Uh, now he knows how the Bella Twins felt when they got bumped off WrestleMania a few years back. Anyway, with this being John Cena's 15th anniversary... Since his debut with Kurt Angle, he thought he'd ask the question, what do you guys think is John Cena's best feud of all time? Hashtag Mitty brand, Mitty out. Well, Mitty, you know what you have to do to get back on the card. Just sleep with John Cena and you'll get back on the card in in, in a major way here. (laughs) For me, John Cena's best feud, and I don't think it's particularly close, and he's had a lot of good ones. How can you go with anything else except The Rock? Like, it has to be The Rock. They main evented back-to-back WrestleManias against each other. It lasted for three years and gave you what I consider to be the best mic work of John Cena's career, building up a match. So for me, it's it's The Rock. 
uh, for me, from an in-ring perspective, I really think the AJ Styles one was the best. I thought John came to a new level as a performer. He was, you know, he was always constantly getting better in the ring. I clearly thought he came to a new level. I just think the the one feud that I that last the most lasting image inside of me is the CM Punk one. Maybe it was because it pulled me back in when I was sort of lukewarm and, and you know the pipe bomb and all everything that went around with that. That got me really excited for wrestling, and I look back on that one a lot. I know that the feud wasn't great, but the one match guy, two second uh, conversation here, the one match that I love more than any in John's career. Remember that Umaga match? Yes. Where, where they where they ripped the ring ropes off of the end and he choked him with that may have been the most intense match of Cena's career. That's one of my favorites right there. But yeah, the CM Punk feud. And there's been a lot of great feuds. When you go back and look at it, there's been a lot of great ones with, with, with Cena. I love the Punk one. Can, can, I, can I toss this qu- question here real quick? Better match Cena versus AJ Styles from this year's Royal Rumble or Cena versus CM Punk, Money in the Bank in Chicago. Punk wins, runs out with the belt. Five-star match, right? Both probably five-star matches, right? I pick mean, that's one. about as even. Which one do you like better? You could only pick one. I got to go AJ because AJ to me is is a, is a more entertaining performer to watch than Punk. It's close, obviously, but AJ is on another level. The, sty- the Styles match was better because Styles made Cena better. Well, Styles, I think, is a better wrestler than CM Punk, but right. the Cena-Punk Story and everything well, going the into atmosphere it, was, the, and the pageantry oh. and the atmosphere. So for me, I choose Money in the Bank in Chicago over the uh, the Royal Rumble match for, against AJ. For me, the three rivalries I wrote down was The Rock, Styles, and the third one, which I'll get to in a second. I, I shied away from The Rock because, yeah, it, it lasted a while, but there were two matches really. And in order to be his best feud ever, you want guys that have really gone at each other multiple times over and over again. The one that I ended up choosing was John Cena and Edge. And the reason for it, it lasted a really long time, not as long as Cena Orton and Cena Miz felt like it lasted forever. But Cena Edge lasted a while, and it had a WWE attitude kind of feel to it. Edge broke into his house and slapped his dad in the face. Like th- There was a lot of things that went on in that feud. I think he put him through a couple tables. Dad that, took a bump, too. A sick bump. Oh, his, yeah, his dad took a bump. Like It was a really, really strong feud. It wasn't his best wrestling feud. It wasn't his best talking feud. But you're talking about rivalry overall. They really made great foils, and I think we would have seen a lot more matches, obviously, between them if Edge didn't have to retire. Guys, coming in at number three, Tony B at TBarg37. He has a booking idea. He wants to know if we would pop for a Val Venus The Miz feud. Imagine Val Venus makes a Marine 5 porn parody, tries (laughs) to make a move on Maurice. Also, he wants to point out, BC's definitely right on the Seth Rollins atheist stuff with Bray Wyatt. Anyway... Guys, what do you think of his idea? But more importantly, which old-timer that's kind of similar to Val Venus would you want to see make a return to WWE? Uh, first of all, I wonder how that comment got in there about the Seth Rollins. I wonder how this question got in here. Yeah. Great question. I'd uh, pop- I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. I think I just kind of foreshadowed my answer. Probably because Tony B's been entertaining that sticky icky here if he thinks the atheist <laughs> stuff was true. And he's also been thinking about a porn parody of the Marine 5. So our guy Tony, I think, <laughs> if Tony got drug tested, I, I think he'd probably get a resounding F. He would fail. Uh, Tony, I would pop massive for the for the Valboski to come back. You know, we he's 46, I think 48 right around there. We haven't seen see him in a while he's been bouncing around he's still i want i love this type of idea you know the headbangers did it last year on smackdown and it stunk and nobody cared but i love this di- kind of idea it kind of reminded me of when road dog in in uh 
and Billy Gunn came back, you know, and at first a couple years ago, it was just such a nostalgic run. It was just fun. It got lame at the end of it, but I would pop for Val Venus coming back, reminding you of that 90s attitude area, reminding you of the ridiculousness. He's only 46. He's still wrestling around. This might be my answer of which guy from that era who's who's seems like he's so far removed, even though he did wrestle in the company about you know nine years ago. Because the idea of him coming back, and we know right now that the Maurice is very upset at the Miz, and even in the beginning of that Lavar Ball skit, she sort of looked away from him and was still upset. Imagine her just popping for the Valboski and wanting to get up on that. I would pop for this. Tony, you did well. The Val Venus touches my field spot in ways I might not be able to describe. Disco Inferno, a close second, but I'd pop big for Val here. And a couple double entendres there using the word pop as well here. Um, you guys are aware that it's not 1997, right? Like it's it's 2017. It's PG. Val Venus is not coming back. <laughs> like v- Maurice is not going to cheat. Like it's, none of these things are going to happen. I mean, it's fun to think about. It's not going to happen. Now, the guy that I'd like to see come back, and basically what he is is a souped-up, better version of Elias Sampson. That's right. I'm talking about J E double F J A double R E double T. The world's greatest singer the world's greatest entertainer, and the world's greatest wrestler. I can't wait to be alone with my baby tonight. You didn't, yeah. even, you didn't even finish it. That's Double J. Woo! Jeff Jarrett. Give me Double J, Jeff Jarrett, back as the country music singer. The guy would be a heat-seeking missile. For me, you know. back wrestling right now. He's a little bit busy right now. He is busy. For me, guys, I don't think it's anyone that you guys would think right away, but I always really liked him. It's my dude from Liberty City down here in Miami, Montel Montavious Porter, MVP. I would love to see MVP, MVP come back. I never thought he got his just due in WWE, and I think he could slide immediately into the Titus brand and be their star, and you're talking about a stable then with those four guys. So it's MVP for me. I just want to make one point on the Titus stable. We haven't talked about it in the last few weeks. We never got to see, like, we loved coming up in wrestling to see Jesse Ventura, to see Bobby the Brain Heenan, to see these guys who were former wrestlers who are now achieving in new roles that that dwarfs their wrestling career. Yet, you know, some one of your friends might go, hey, did you know that classy Freddie Blassie used to be a wrestler? You know, and you're like, no, that was 30 years ago. We might be watching the transition of Titus O'Neil from performer to a role that I think he's got really good potential at, being a stable leader, being a manager on the microphone. It just sort of hit me the other other day watching that, seeing what he's doing with Akira Tozawa. Yeah. I'm popping big for it. I hope it goes big. I think I said it in the beginning when they put Cruz with him. Like, it seemed convenient, but I was I bought it. Like, I was ready. And them putting Tozawa there, I'd like to see his stable grow. Sasha Banks, if she loses this match to Alexa Bliss, throwing her in there, they're actually close off the screen, They, they need a woman in the Titus brand. They That's need, for They sure. need a woman in there, and, and I think this could go really far. You throw Cedric Alexander, you throw some other guys. I mean, I think this could go, it could be a really nice stable, and hopefully they actually turn them heel and give them a purpose and a reason. Guys, no, no heat, by the way, for my rendition, my stirring rendition of Alone with My Baby Tonight by Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> I, mean, I, I thought it was pretty good. It was good. It was good. That was BC. That was my best Tennessee Lee impersonation there, uh, pumping up Double J, Jeff Jarrett. So that does it for the DM segment again at B Campbell CBS, at the Costos, at Silverstein Adam. Or tweet using the hashtag in this corner. We will answer your questions in the world of professional wrestling. Now, before we close the show by telling you what hit us in the old feel spot this week, let's talk a little 
New Japan Pro Wrestling. Because there's a lot going on with NJPW. This probably won't be a regular segment, but given what we're about to get, whether it's the Long Beach specials coming up this weekend or the upcoming G1 tournament, there's a lot to dig into. And as we said last week, you should go out of your way if you've got the time to find some of these great matches with Omega and Okada and invest in this product because it's very good and an interesting alternative to what we see with WWE. So, BC, let's start off with the Long Beach specials, the G1 specials this week in California, uh, July 1st, Saturday, and Sunday, July 2nd. The main event of night one is going to be the IGWP, which is the New Japan Pro Wrestling Champion. That is Okada taking on the current Ring of Honor Champion and Bullet Club member, Cody Rhodes. So this is going to be pretty fascinating here. A promotional, intra-promotional champion versus champion. And it's going to be fascinating, Bri, to see how it all plays out. You know, it really will. And I gave myself a zero last week saying, I know how good NJPW is, but I won't allow myself to jump in out of fear of time and that I'm just going to go so hashtag balls deep that I just can't come <laughs> out of it. And, you know, you know, we a lot of our business here is WWE for a reason, but I might just have to, you know, unleash the reins and just dive in. It's time. This match is going to be incredible. I mean, in this two-day card, Nick, you're going to have the the tournament for the IWGP uh, United States Heavyweight Champion. You're, you're going to see Kenny Omega in that. You're going, there's going to see a lot of guys, you know, Zack Sabre Jr., those type of guys. But the idea that this card is going to be in the States is the first ever NJPW card independently promoted in the States, you know, rather than being a joint production with another promotion. This is a big deal. This is their North American invasion. This is step one. This is a, will this test market work here? We know there's bullet club t-shirts everywhere in the States these days, including now two in the closet of Nick Costos. I'm a mark. Yes. I, I mark out for the bullet club and I've spent money on merch recently. That's accurate. No doubt. And you deserve to, I mean, it's working. You'll have Jim Ross on this event because he still promised it despite signing the WWE deal that he's going to finish out the commitments he had. This might be the event. If you're someone like me, who's been on the fence, you got a taste, you got a sample. You don't know if you're going to go all in. This might be the time to buy the subscription, be able to watch this live and do it because this is going to be a popping event. If you look at the rundown of the two days, there's a lot of names, you know, there's a lot of names you should, you'll, you'll love to know. I mean, Cody Okada, are you kidding me? This is, I'm fired up. Okay. A couple things to get into here. Number one, um, Bri. So when you dive into NJPW coming up this weekend, how deep are you going to dive? Uh, hashtag WWE balls. Hashtag, hashtag <laughs> balls deep would be the, the correct answer here. So I'm going to set the scene here a little bit here for those of you that might not know what the storyline is, right? So, NJPW is trying to get a foothold in the States, right? So their champion right now, Okada, who's fantastic, is Japanese. Kenny Omega is not Japanese. Kenny Omega is Canadian. And Kenny Omega cuts his promos in Japan in English, which is really awesome because he's a heel and he's in the Bullet Club, which is the foreign stable that now includes some Japanese members. So what you have here now is a scenario where Cody Rhodes, who's also in the Bullet Club, may win this match, and Omega and Okada are not finished yet, so now you could have Omega tension with him and Cody Rhodes, potentially, because you know that we're going to get Omega Okada 3. We'll talk about that coming up. That'll be in the G1 tournament. We can't wait for it, but a lot of intrigue here as it surrounds these events coming up in Long Beach, California. Now, did you guys see the NJPW release here on the fan decorum that they're expecting here coming up in California. Did you guys see no, this or I, no? I missed that. So NJPW sent like an email out to, to all the – because I subscribe. So they I got the email. They put some stuff out on Twitter as well where 
they are expecting the fans to act a certain way, right? So it's not going to be like the full American atmosphere. They're looking for the American fans to sort of behave the way the Japanese fans have done in the past year. So I think it's going to be curious to see what the crowd reaction is going to be. So this is going to be a spectacle to behold here. So we got about five to seven minutes left in the broadcast here. So Adam... I know because you tweeted it out. It got a good reaction from the listeners this weekend. You watched, finally, Okada Omega 1 and 2 this past weekend. Give us your thoughts and your Mark Milk explosion. want to say one quick thing before that. Shout out to Cody Rhodes for winning the Ring of Honor world title. Like We kind of just glossed over that as we were previewing this. Shout out to him. And by the way, guy comes up with the perfect gimmick, the American nightmare that he could have had in WWE and been a heavyweight champion with that gimmick. I mean, that, that's awesome. So congratulations to Cody. Really great. Okay, guys, I sat down this weekend. I was watching a bunch of College World Series, and I decided— Shout out to your Florida Gators, yeah, by man. the way, champions. Yeah, really excited about that. Um, but in between those Gator games, I said, you know what? Let me put some baseball on, and you know what? Baseball's boring, so let me put some NJPW, and let me see what all these guys are talking about with Okada Omega. Wow. Um, they're literally the first two New Japan matches— not including Brock Lesnar that I had ever seen. Loved them. Obvi I don't need to go over why. The athleticism was awesome. The presentation, the storytelling. I loved the vignettes before the match, especially for Okada Omega 1. Those were fantastic, really funny stuff. Here's how I'm going to break it down. I agree with Dave Meltzer that they were both great. I agree that the second match was better than the first. I think it's a little bit of a reach to say these are the best matches by far, without question of the year, and particularly of all time. We have seen some amazing, amazing wrestling matches in WWE, probably in New Japan that I haven't seen, other promotions, etc. These were great matches. But to just go so far and say they're that amazing because the crowd was great and there were a lot of false finishes, I'm not really there. Omega's... Uh, you think he could have... Fix that by instead of giving the first one a six star rating and then the second one a six and a quarter, that if he had done five and a quarter or 5.1 well, for the. Well, I don't think the ratings matter per se. I mean, I know that a lot of the IWC goes crazy over what Meltzer rates something. That's his ratings and good for him. And they're both great matches, whether it's a five or a six. I don't care about any of that. I'm just looking at the match itself. The storytelling was great. Yes, the performance, all everything was fantastic during the match. Here was my one problem and why I can't put it in that greatest match Here he of all is. time. Here's the guy that sits no, in the no, Louvre no. and dissects the Mona Lisa. Let's guys, hear it. Guys, I'm saying it's an amazing match. I'm just, there's one thing. Omega's finisher takes so long to set up that there's not really, it never really comes close to him hitting it. So he either hits it and you know it's either going to be a near fall or a finish or not. Whereas what are you? He gets the he gets the guy on his shoulders. Like that's that's all that has to happen for him to potentially hit it. No, then he has to pull the arm down. Like it is a process for him to try to set up that finisher. Whereas keeping the outs is the story. There's exits off the highway, and that's how they keep yeah, seizing. Yeah, but Okada hit that rainmaker like 17 times. That's in the each story match. that they're telling though. Is that is that Omega can kick out of the rainmaker, but we don't know yet if Okada can kick out of the one winged angel. That's Under, the story. Understood. It just seemed like they Omega was so damn strong. And we never even found out if Okada could have done that. So because of that, I can't say it's the greatest match of all time when we've seen these false finishes with finishers and secondary finishers and third and going to the top rope for a finisher. And yeah, they did do that once. I'm just saying, look, it was a great match. It was one of the best matches of the year, maybe the best match of the year. But for to go ahead and say this was by far the greatest match of all time, no question about it, 
I can't get there. But guys, take that, they, take that shine from the Silver King. I here. just I just can't say that automatically. There have been some amazing matches, not just this year, but forever in the history of pro wrestling. So loved it. Really popped for it. You guys saw the tweet. And I think I might get the New Japan package. We'll see. There you go. Uh, I think I hate the Silver King after hearing him just <laughs> go through that. I just praised it. What are you talking about? Uh, yeah, yeah, it was a backhanded compliment. No, was... I had to give, you know me, I have to give my, hey, what about this, you know? But, but Brian, you're with me, right, on the story that they're telling. Like, that's the whole point of the story, the right? I was almost ready to do this to the to the Silver King. <laughs> to that take right there. But uh, we'll, we'll, he's buying the package. He's still on my team. Hey, guys, they announced we're going to see... That's a Omega. long flush. Omega 3 on August 12th. It'll be August 13th in Japan. Uh, yeah. Number one, yeah. So soon, yeah. Hell yes. Hell but, yes. But Nick and Adam here, here's my big question. Does Kenny Omega have a legitimate shot to end 2017 with, you know, R and anyone else who does end-of-the-year wrestling awards and, and sort of consider, considers the whole landscape of all the organizations as the wrestler of the year? as being involved in the match of the year, and now I think is already a slam dunk for the feud of the year. Can this guy pull that off that kind of triple crown? It's I over. Mean, it's it's over. Like You're the, saying it's over already. It's done. It's done. Kenny Omega is the wrestler of the year. This is the feud of the year, and one of the three matches will be the match of the year. It's it's already, like, like cancel everything else. Like, don't actually cancel it because we love wrestling, but it's done. Like, it's already finished. It's over well, already. Smart of him to not sign with the WWE after this first match when he had that chance because he wanted to do something special. He wanted to be the face of something special. If NJPW can work in America, he will be the guy, the, the building block. The face, the rock star, and he and he's got DDP's hair. I can't say that enough. I shout out. I'm I'm I, I look. I may have to just buy this thing. Okay, listen. Five minutes left here. So one last note on this. So Okada Omega three August twelfth. That is the finals of the B block of the G1 tournament, right? So the next night after that will be the B-block champion taking on the A-block champion. Winner gets a main event shot at Wrestle Kingdom, which is New Japan's version of WrestleMania. So that match, Okada Omega 3, will likely in the story determine which of those two moves on to the finals of the G1 tournament. So there's going to be a lot of intrigue around what happens there, a lot of intrigue this weekend. If it's going to be Cody or Okada, will Okada still have the belt going into G1? New Japan, absolutely white hot right now. So hot right now. You know what else is hot right now? My damn feel spot. I'm going to go last as I normally do. Brian Campbell, what hit you this week in the old feel spot? Uh, it's a little bit of a two-week delay, right? I, I was a little behind in NXT. As we talk about, NXT airs. We record our shows on Wednesday afternoon. We're always going to be a week behind. Well, two weeks ago, there was the Triple Threat Women's Title main event with Asuka against Nikki Cross and Ruby Riot. Riot gets eliminated early. Asuka and Cross have a brawl for the ages for both, for basically for women's wrestling and certainly for NXT, where the match was called a no contest because they were just brawling so viciously outside of the ring. It spills to the back. They're throwing each other against the garage door walls. They're in catering. Asuka gets her face thrown in a cooler filled with ice water and, and water bottles. And then they do one another one of these gigantic spots where Nikki Cross basically spears Asuka off the stage through a table. That alone activated my feel spot. I just happened to watch the show a week and a half later than probably I should have. I got behind. But the fact that this week, like Adam said, we will have a last women standing main event on NXT, Nikki Cross versus Asuka. Here's why this rules. Asuka has dominated this division for two years. She's unbeaten. But outside of Bailey, when she won the title, there has never been another woman who could match her 
not just physically, but match her with intensity. Now, Bailey was different because she was such an over baby face. But Nikki Cross is a rabid, psychotic character who can do big spots and matches Asuka's intensity in a way I never could imagine. Field spot blown through the roof, fired up. My field spot this week, and by the way, Hansel's always so hot right now. Always so hot always. right now. Uh, but my field spot this week was also NXT, and it was basically the rest of the show. Guys, the Aleister Black Cassius Ono match. It was just incredible. I, I've i always been down for Aleister Black. I actually kind of hated Cassius Ono. Everything from the gimmick to the name to the awful ring attire, all that. Well, guess what? He won me over this past week. That match was incredible. Great spots. Um, and it really put over Aleister Black well, you know, too. The other big part of NXT that we need to talk about, though, was that Bobby Roode, Roderick Strong photo shoot kind of clash. And that was a little old school WWE right there. You know, I was talking to Campbell about it. And BC, you said that you thought it was a real Rick Rude moment for for Bobby Rude. And yeah, that's exactly what it was. He was the perfect heel in that moment. And that backstage segment, more than anything else that's happened between those two guys, put legitimate heat and gave us a legitimate reason to want to see that match and see this rivalry continue, probably through SummerSlam, I would assume, unless they're going to make you know, a switch with Drew McIntyre by then. I'm not really sure. But I bought in fully on NXT last week, as I do most weeks. They're doing some really, really good work down there. And hopefully one day soon, we can get them in the main event here on In This Corner. All right, going to take you behind the curtain here. Here's the deal. Brian Campbell's got a radio interview to do in a couple minutes here. So we got to get the hell out of this show here moving forward because BC is big-timing us, and you can do that when you're the man whose name is on the marquee. So very quickly here, my feel spot. The Fashion file starts this week on SmackDown, right, with, with, with Bree Zango. And I'm sitting there thinking, I think this has run its course. And that was legitimately was my first thought. I'm going to criticize it. And what happens? The Ascension get involved. And they were very funny. They mentioned their subset of metal that they listen to. They can't listen to Eddie Money as they put the Eddie Money tickets on the table. And at the very end of it, they go and they grab the tickets and you hear the crowd laughing. It was very funny. The best usage of Connor and Victor since they've been in WWE. The Fashion Files, a major hit for me this week. I can't believe I'm saying it, but bravo, Ascension. Connor and Victor, they made me laugh this past Tuesday night. That does it for this week's edition of In This Corner with Brian Campbell, the pro wrestling edition. BC's got you covered with boxing. He's got you covered with UFC. So for the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, I am handsome Nick Costos. Brian Campbell has two words for you as we take you out of this edition of ITC. We out. <laughs>